0: Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to see everybody here today. I'm really, I'm really honored. We're starting this 21-day pilgrimage, and uh, you can come with us if you'd like. You can get on the wagon and ride. You can walk with us. You can ride a horse, whatever you want to do. We're going on this little journey because I believe that God has some promises in store for us. Amen. I preached last week about a king telling another king, I have 2,000 horses, but you got to find the riders. And if we can learn to ride, God's got a horse for us. we got to learn to ride. And I believe with all my heart that God's got a blessing for Christian Life Church and a blessing for His church in general around the world because He wants to do a great work in the last days. You believe that? Amen. He said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I really, really will. And so I thank you for being in church today. I'm going to tell you a little funny story. I'm going to get started. Husband and wife were at Grand Canyon on a little trip, and they decided to ride those donkeys down the bottom of the canyon. The wife got a donkey that wasn't real stable, and he fell. And she looked at him, and she said, that's one. He stumbled down and fell again. She said, that's two. He went to the bottom and stumbled on a rock and fell down. She shot him. And the husband said, honey, What'd you do that for? Why'd you do that for? Why'd you why'd you shoot that donkey when he fell the third time? She said, That's one. <laughs> <laughs> that may not be fun to you. That hit me funny. I've got I've got an old pastor friend that's eighty something years old. He's an octogenarian and he's up in Missouri and he sends me stuff like that all the time. Text this long and And he'll write back, you didn't get my text? I got your text. Well, did you think it was funny? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Well, tell me every now and then you think it's funny. (laughs) Would you stand? You're awesome people. I love you very much. We're we're going to start a series today, uh, uh, a wonderful series that I'm excited about. Uh, it, it, It may not be the easiest sledding I've ever done, but I'm excited about what we're going to do. Thank you, sir. I'm excited about what we're going to do today in the house And uh, these next three weeks, we're going to to talk about Big Rocks. We're going to do a series called Big Rocks. Say Big Rocks with me. Big Rocks. And and I I believe with with all that's in me that we have to have have big rocks in our life. There has to be big rocks. There have to be things that we just absolutely believe in. Amen. We trust in. Uh, I want you to say with me, Pastor, (laughs) preach to me today. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach to me today. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach to me today. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. I'm honored you're here. Turn and shake somebody's hand and say, You're my brother, my sister, and you may be seated. God bless. You're awesome people. In a park on a beautiful island of Bermuda, there's a rock hanging on a rope with a large sign beside it. The sign reads, weather station. Check the rock. If it's wet, it's raining. If it's moving, it's windy. If you can't see it, it's foggy. If it's not there, a hurricane's come. That's the weather station. I've checked the rock, folks. Or better yet, to use the language of the Apostle Peter, the stone, the cornerstone. But the builder rejected that's been built in our lives. Peter wrote, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. He said, I see, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone. And it is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus Christ folks can I, can I get a witness Jesus Christ is the cornerstone yeah. He is the cornerstone It's familiar language to most of us Where do you begin building a life Well if I was building a life I would I'd find me a cornerstone and I would build my foundation around that cornerstone Builders are only builders are only as strong as their foundations In the summer of 15 Patty and I visited Italy and, uh, and uh, some of the countries, France, over there. Y'all sent us over there on this beautiful 17-day trip. And I'll be honest, folks, I didn't want to come home when it was time to come home. We were having so much fun. But we went and saw right out of Florence there's a place where the Leaning Tower of Pisa is. And uh, there it is right there. And that really is. I had a picture that Patty took, I thought of me. I was in the frame and I was holding the p- p- Tower of Pisa up with my hand. It was self-imposed into that, and I, I was trying to hold it up. But it began, the building began in 1173 and wasn't completed until 1372, 199 years to build a 12-story building, solid marble. And uh, it started leaning when it got its third floor, even before it was completed. Quite significantly, the word Pisa means marshy land. Given a clue as to why after three stories were completed, it started leaning. The foundation was only 10 feet deep for a 12-story building. Scientists are now working feverishly to try to keep it from falling over it, report the tower moves about one-twentieth of an inch every year, and it was supposed to have fallen in 2007. I'm glad it didn't, because we got to see it in 2015. But no building, folks, is any stronger or sure than its foundation. No building is stronger or sure than its foundation. The depth of the foundations in the Twin Towers, and I've been there, and I saw After the fact, and I've seen now the beautiful, beautiful museum they built to it. But the depth of the foundation of the Twin Towers in New York City is staggering. To build a great life, one must start with a sure foundation. Can there be any more sure foundation than Jesus Christ? Upon the rock of Christ I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I love to preach about Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. Isn't it great to know that we have somebody that proved his love to us by going to a cross, by being buried. And on the third day he arose and got up. And then 50 days later he ascended right out of here or 40 days later ascended out of here. And and one of the greatest days of his life and of the life of Christians was not necessarily the resurrection but the ascension. Because when Jesus got moving up out of the Mount of Olives and he started going through the place where Satan is the prince and power of the air. And a place that took 21 days for Michael to get to Daniel in the book of Daniel. Jesus just went through it because he let us know that there's no power in heaven or earth. That can overcome a child of God that bears and carries the preciousness of Jesus in their life. Amen. I believe that. A seminar leader was speaking to a group of business students. And he used this illustration. He pulled out a gallon mason jar with a big old wide mouth and set it on a table in front of him. And then he took out some fist-sized stones, rocks. And he started placing them carefully in the mason jar. And when the jar was filled to the top, he asked the simple question, is this jar full? And everyone in the class said, yes. He said, no, it's not. And reached under the table and he got some pea-sized gravel. And he poured the gravel into that jar, into that jar and the gravel began to filter down between the rocks and go down and find lodging. And then he, when he filled that up, he said, is this, is this jar full? And then they were called on to him. They said, no, probably not. He said, no, it's not. He reached in and got some real fine sand and started pouring that sand. And the sand even found, found places to lodge that the gravel couldn't find. Then he asked, is this... Is this thing full? And they said, don't know, probably not. And then he took some water and he filled water all the way to the brim and the water found places where the sand couldn't find and the gravel couldn't find and of course the large rocks couldn't find. And then he said, it is full. And then he said, he said, I want you to give me the point of this whole story. Do you know the point of, of, of this whole story? And one eager beaver kid said, the point of the story is no matter how full your schedule is, if you really try hard, you can always fit some more things into it. (laughs) That's what we're doing in America today, trying to fit more things into it. The professor said, no. The point is, get it now. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Big rocks first. The, the, The class was about time management, but I'm preaching today about life's priorities. If you don't get the big rocks in your life first, you'll never be able to place them there with all the other stuff that can come into your life. So somebody give me a witness on that right now. There are some things that God wants us to establish in our life. Put the big rocks in first. Make sure that your priorities are right. Take care of the essentials before you get bogged down with the extraneous. It's a great lesson in managing time. It's a greater lesson in managing life. Put big things first. Everybody say big things first. Make sure your life is built on a strong foundation. And the strongest foundation I know is the rock of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's no other foundation like it. The best lives are built on the foundation of Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Isaiah said, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a precious cornerstone. Zechariah said, from them will come the cornerstone, the peg which all hope will hang. And the bow that wins the battle. And the ruler over the earth. What they are saying is when he comes, build your life on that person. Build it on Jesus. I want you to clap your hands real big. Say, that's why I'm in church today, Pastor. I want to build my life. I want to build my life on Jesus Christ. I I love the quote. I love the quote of David. I love the quote of David. When he said, from the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Moses said in Exodus 33, he said, behold, there is a place. The Lord said to him, there's a place by me and you shall stand upon a rock. In Numbers, the Lord spoke to Moses again, said from the top of the rocks, I see him. And from the hills, I behold him. And then Moses finally said in Deuteronomy, the world's rock is not our rock. And the God that they serve, the God that they trust in is not the God that we trust in. I'm glad to tell you today that I am a Jesus freak. I am a Jesus in the morning. I'm a Jesus in the evening. I'm a Jesus when the sun goes down. When I need healing, I know a name to call. When I need prayer and I need a signature name, I know the name to call. When I need deliverance in my life, I know the name to call. Somebody say amen to that. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. Come on, clap your hands real big. That's good stuff. There are only two kinds of people in the world, folks. I'm going to break it down for you right now. Two kinds. There are people who seek God and people who don't seek God. That's the only two kinds of people in the world. It's not about Jews and Gentiles. It's not about the elite and the illiterate. It's not about the educated and the uneducated. It's not about that. It is about people who seek God and people who don't seek God. It's about people who cry out to God and say, I need you in my life. You read in the Bible where men excelled in God, they asked God to be with them. They asked God to be their portion. The first Sunday back, the eighth day of the year, I want us to understand that this is the new beginning in our life. Eight's the number of new beginning. And I want you to say to yourself before you leave here, Jesus, I need you in my life this year. I want you more than I've ever needed you in my life. We're in 2017, people are getting shot in Fort Lauderdale airports, people are getting shot in airports over in in, in Europe. I'm telling you, there's a wild, woolly spirit out there, and we need something in our lives greater than anything out there in their lives. And I believe if God's big enough to save us, he's big enough to protect us. Come on now. If he's big enough to heal us, he's big enough to watch over us. Somebody get excited with me, because I'm going to preach a little bit today. God's able. Everybody say, he's able. God is able. So, so David, David's passion for God gets a hold of me when he said, God, you are my God. I'm going to seek you early. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty place where no water is. Then he said, as a heart pants, pants. Can you imagine a king saying, as a heart pants after the water broke, so pants my soul after you, O oh God. I love the passion in David. I love the passion. He said seven times a day, I'm going to praise you because you are my God. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, the son of God, when he comes on the scene, Jesus preached a message. He preached a lot of messages, but his first message that he ever preached took three chapters. I don't know if it was a long time. I don't know if he went out on a limb on some of these points that he made. But he preached Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. First time he ever preached. He preached. And here, and, 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 and if Jesus thought some things were big, then maybe we ought to think things are big. In Matthew chapter 5, he gave us the beatitudes. He told us we were salt and light. He talked about the fulfillment of the law. He talked about murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and eye for an eye and loving your enemies. Then in chapter 7, He talked about how to judge others and asking and seeking and knocking and narrow and wide gates and true and false prophets and true and false disciples and wise and foolish builders. But right in the middle, it's almost like Paul did with 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. He talked about the power gifts of Almighty God. He talked about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But right in the middle, he talked about love. He talked about love. And so Jesus, right in the middle of all these things that he taught, brought us some things that are very important. I call them Jesus's big rocks. Jesus has some big rocks. Now, if 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 you've got a problem with my sermon today, take it up with the one that gave it to me. Because I just got it out of his writing. I didn't make this up. I promise you, you can find this in the Bible. But he talked about three rocks in the jar of life what we referred to as big rocks. The first one was, you believe us. the first one was when you give. Not if you give, but when you give. I want to challenge some people right now that's never been tithers. I want to challenge you the first of the year. Why don't you pick up that beautiful thing called tithing and see how God won't bless your life when you give. He'll give back to you, but he won't give like you gave. He'll give it back heaped up, pressed down, shaken together and running over <laughs> into your bosom. He will do that. But he said in chapter 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the street. You know what those Pharisees would do? They'd take, they had little trumpets they they'd put on their, on their robes. And when they'd give to a little panhandler in the street of Jerusalem, they'd pull out that trumpet and go, I gave, I gave, I gave, I gave. When they come in the synagogue, They'd, they'd put whatever they wanted to put and then they'd blow that horn. They always. My daddy always taught me, he that blows his own horn blows a small end. <laughs> That's the truth. Those Pharisees, Jesus said, don't be like those hypocrites that blow their horn every time they give in the synagogue or on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then he went into praying. He said, When you pray, when you pray, not only when you give, but when you pray, the very second point, Matthew 6. When you pray, not if you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in a synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you that they receive the reward in full. He's talking about that reward already. You're not going to get another one. You're going to get right here. That's, your, that's one you're going to get. But when you pray, go to your room and close the door. Now, that, 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 that phrase there is the same as the upper room that happened in the book of Acts chapter 2. It, it's it's an enclosed place. It's a place where you go and get alone with me and I'll give you a power. I'll give you a spirit that the world cannot handle and it'll take you from glory to glory and victory to victory. That's that, inner, that's that upper room right there. And pray for your father, to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they, they will be heard because of their many words. I love people when they pray to go ahead and get it done. Just go ahead and say it. You know, Jesus, Jesus wept. That's a pretty short verse, but it tells you a whole lot. You know, you know. I heard, I heard about a pastor and his wife was riding on a plane one day, and the plane started losing altitude, and there wasn't any problem except that they were losing their oxygen. They were trying to get down to where oxygen didn't have to be pumped in. And so they, they started a nosedive, and <laughs> the woman sitting beside, sitting beside the, uh, the husband said, Jesus, we're diving, help! And all of a sudden, the pilot reached that level, and he leveled off. She said, thank you, Lord. That's all I needed. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you don't have to stand there and babble. He said, don't stand there and pray those long prayers and pray loud. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. <laughs> then he taught the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. We go to the not temptation. Thine is the kingdom of power and glory forever. Amen. But then he got to verse 16. He said, when you fast, not if you fast, I need a little energy in the house right now. When you fast, oh God, do not look somber as hypocrites for they disfigure their face and show others they're fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward. He said it again. But when you fast, pour oil on your head and wash your face. Put a little makeup on, ladies. So that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting. Don't come out of there looking like sad sack in the sars. Look like, Look like somebody's happy about life, but only your Father, who's unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, real rewards you. Clap your hands. That's that's three big rocks the Lord just established there. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. I got a confession. It's confession time. I got a confession. I hate to I hate to break this to y'all. First of the year, I've been here almost twenty seven years, but I need to confess something. I love to eat. I don't eat to live. I live to eat. Since childhood, when I was a meat, potato, and gravy guy, and red beans, and ham hock, and cornbread. Till now, food has been my healing. (laughs) Why do you think we go eat after a funeral? Because it feels good to eat fried chicken after a funeral. That's what people are going to do when they bury me. They're going to come back to church, eat fried chicken, and tell a bunch of stories about me. Food has been my comfort. It's been my blessedness. It's been my preciousness. It's been my soulfulness. And it's been my deliciousness. Food's been a delight to me. I enjoy food. I've got to tell you, I enjoy food. I really do. I've expanded both my food menu and girth size. In fact... My food, menu wise, has gotten so big I can handle cauliflower right now by itself. Mama used to put it on my plate and I would give it to the dog or I'd chunk it over in the corner and go get it later and put it in the trash. Mama never knew I wasn't eating that cauliflower. That's a fact. But I could take cauliflower by itself right now. Broccoli, throw it on me. I can eat that broccoli. Asparagus, mmm. Cabbage, mmm. Spinach, mmm. Collard greens, oh Lord. Just a bowl of collard greens. Pass the cornbread if you please. I don't want no lima beans. Just a bowl of collard greens. <laughs> Have I told you I enjoy desserts? <laughs> ice cream. I am a middle of the night eater of bluebell ice cream. I'm a middle of the night eater. Corey Redding sent me a, a text Friday. And he said, "Bluebell has a new flavor. I'm going to show you a picture of it. It's called, it's called Burnt Orange Thunder. God. <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then he te- texted me a little later and he said, if you ever want to go down and meet all the people at Bluebell, he said, I got an inroad to that Brenham place. I said, I'm with you, baby, any day. He said, we can eat all we want. I said, after this fast, we're going to do it. But right now, I'm craving that right now. I want to go by the store so bad. Bluebell is the sweetest cream I know. I get up in the middle of the night. Patty's sleeping sometime. I get up in the middle of the night, and I'll go in the kitchen. And I'll just get a spoon, not a bowlful, just a spoon. Because, you see, milk helps you sleep. And so I get a spoon. Dr. Mindy. please, please give me a break here. I get this spoon and I and, and I put it in that bluebell and I eat it. And I said, Lord, time it gets down, it's warm like milk is. And I go back to bed. Honest to God, I'm telling you, I'm confessing right now. I'm giving some confession. I can sleep better after I eat a little bit of bluebell in the middle of the night. We've got a kid that comes to our first service that's got a body built by... Barbells. I got a body built by blue bell. That's a fact. That's a fact. I've eaten in diners, I've eaten in drive-ins, and I've eaten in dives. And I like them all. I was evangelizing one time and I went to a house and about to eat some potatoes, some 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 whole potatoes, and a spider crawled out of the potato bowl. And I just politely took my napkin, got that spider, and I said goodbye to him. Put him under my, under my foot, and then I turned the bowl around and ate potatoes from the other side. <laughs> Ain't no spider going to get in my way of potatoes. <laughs> this boy loves to eat. But Jesus knew when he started his ministry on this earth that we'd be governed by one of two things in life. Either our physical appetite or our spiritual appetite. Are you with me? And right in the middle on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about three big rocks. He talked about giving, he talked about praying, then he talked about fasting. Today, I will talk about fasting. There are several fasts, you can Google them. I did. In fact, my wife did. She's my Google research analyst. There's a regular fast, it's water and juice only. Jesus did that in the desert for 40 days. I don't think I'm going to try that for 40 days. Just being honest, confession. Then there's a partial fast, like a Daniel fast, 21 days of vegetables and what they called pulse in the Old Testament, water and juice, omitting a meal or a certain type of food. And then there's a full fast, no drink, no food, that ain't on my list either not recommended and I wouldn't recommend it for 21 days. Paul did this for three days after meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road. I imagine when he got knocked down off that donkey he wanted to go fast a little bit and get a hold of Jesus, don't you? Also when Jonah finally got the message to Nineveh that God was going to destroy them, they went on this three day fast of no food no water and God saved the city. And then this is, in, this is Googled, there's a sexual fast. I think we'll move on from that one. <laughs> Probably won't appeal to a lot of people here today. It got quieter than it's ever been in this church in the last 27 years. <laughs> but then there's other fast. There's other fast. Giving up activities. Giving up TV. You know, I don't watch a lot of things on TV, but I like TV. Because the Dallas Cowboys play on TV. And I like TV because the horns play on TV. And I like TV because San Antonio Spurs play on TV. And that's about all I watch. My wife's, my wife's into more things. She needs to give up some things this, this, this next days. <laughs> she says she's going to give up social media. All right, we'll see about that. Chocolate, soft drinks, shopping. Hey, ladies, shopping. Hello. Point is... Fasting is this, it's giving up something that gives us pleasure because there's no pleasure like being in the presence of God. No pleasure. There's vegan people here today, they they don't, they don't want anything to do with animals, no dairy, no cheese, no yogurt. Then there's vegetarians, that's a little bit different than vegan. Vegetarians have no meat but eat dairy and cheese and milk and yogurt. Then I got a little note here. Pastors, is there are another one that you haven't mentioned? Because none of these strike my fancy. <laughs> Let me tell you something. None of them strike my fancy too. Because I've just confessed, I enjoy eating. <laughs> I've already started my diet. Fast. I started it Friday night. And I wanted to start because I, I, I wanted to have something in me besides the food in my belly. I want to have something in me that I can talk about today because I want to ask a question. What is the governor of your life? Is it your belly or is it your soul? That's the question. And so for the next little while, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of teach a little bit on three things and three reasons that we fast. Three reasons. And then I'm going to let you go. But I've given you fast. I've told you there are three big rocks that God gave was giving and praying and fasting. And I'm talking about fasting. We fast, folks, number one, because of devotion. How many of you would say that Jesus is the sweetest thing you've ever found in your life? Come on. Come on, help me right now. Let's get, let's get noisy in this house. Help me right now. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like it. When you are sick, who can make you feel better? When you're downhearted, what kind of service do you need? You need something to pick you up. When you're going through the battle of your life, there's something about the name of the Lord Jesus. And because of what he did for us, let me preach a little bit right now. We need to return a favor every now and then and say, Lord, because of what you did, you have a devoted follower here and I'm gonna do what I need to do to cut away the world and cut away the flesh in my life and get submitted to the will of the Father in heaven. Amen. Amen first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness was turn these stones into bread. We've got some big rocks here. You know what? If that had been me, I'd have got a rock about this big and turned it into bread and ate the whole loaf. <laughs> but Jesus didn't do that. What do I hunger for? Yeah. The first thing that has to be handled in our life is what do I hunger for? You know, I'm, I'm spring cleaning at my house in January. My wife just finally said, baby, it's not, it's not March yet, but you need to clean the cl- your closet. And I said, okay. Whatever my wife says, I do. That's a fact. I'm not making fun. That's a fact. And by the way, I take out the trash. And I, load, I, I, I get my own table off the, my, my own plate off the table. I'm helping you, mama. I'm helping you. That didn't go over real well. We won't have no men here next week, praise God. <laughs> but have you ever, have you ever just felt like that when you needed him the most, he just kind of overwhelmed you and just kind of touched your life and just said, you know, I'm here. And you look up and tears are running down your face and you say, God, I'm devoted to you. What can I do? And he says, well, i tell you what you can do. You can cut away yourself from the world. you can get, you can get rid of this, this worldly lust and this belly, this belly craving for the things of the world. You need to get a big rock in you. You need to get some soul food in you. Yeah. You know, when, when when men had leprosy in the Old Testament, they would come and the priest would come and scrub the walls of the house. You know what? You know what? My cleaning my closet it means to me. God gave me a little epiphany in my closet the other day. He said, "I want you to have an awakening. I want to clean your soul like you're cleaning this closet." I want to clean you up on the inside. I want you to want the right things in 2017. And I got to crying in my own closet. And I said, Lord, you're everything to me. You're everything. He didn't say prove it. He just said, I'm here for you. And I want to push back things that would hold me back from doing what God wants me to do in my life. I want to be pure in his sight. I want to be righteous in his sight. It's called devotion. The second reason, the second reason that I fast because I need direction. I really do. You know when you eat, you ever thought about this, when you eat, all the blood goes to your stomach, that's why you get sleepy. Because it's got to digest all that stuff, you know, that cauliflower and that cabbage and that broccoli. And right now, you know, I've been been a a, a day on my fast and my stomach saying, send me some liver or something. I need something down in here. (laughs) God help me down here. I need a little help down here. I'll take, I'll just take pure old cauliflower right now, whatever you can give me. But I would like some bluebell also, praise God. <laughs> but when you're not eating, where's the blood go? Go to your brain. You become keener, you become sharper, you become more more direct. You get direction. You get direction. And I think it's important to get direction in your life. I think it's important if we ever needed direction in our life, it's now. Jesus said, he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. We don't need to look back anymore to the world that we've come from. We need to start looking forward and say, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to look back to the worldly, beggarly elements that I left. I'm going to go forward with Jesus Christ. Can you clap and say, that's my portion. I want direction. I want direction. I want direction. I learned to ski a long time ago when I was skiing. The the ski instructor said, wherever you look is where you're going to go. And I believe that was in in the spirit. Wherever you look is where you're going to go. I'm looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. And I need direction in my life. I need help. Some people need a job. Some people need help with their family. Some people need directives in, in daily life. Some people need directives on how to pass that chemistry class in college. Some people need help. But God is able We fast because it's devotion. We fast because of directives. And the third reason we fast is because we need deliverance. We need deliverance. We need deliverance. Can I preach a little bit now? There's people that are in this church today that needs deliverance from bad habits. You need deliverance from addictions. I sat at a table yesterday at Starbucks with a young man who needs deliverance. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried, and I cried. I told him I was going to fast for him this 21 days because I believe that deliverance comes when you fast unto the Lord. It does. It comes. It comes. I, I read a book years ago entitled Fasting Can Save Your Life, and they spoke of the physical, like if you lose weight, losing weight will cause your blood pressure to to be stabilized and cause this to happen, this to happen. And it was a powerful book, but there was nothing spiritual in it. But I'm not preaching about a diet here today. I'm I'm preaching about a fasting, a spiritual call of God that says I'm going to push away from that TV. I'm going to push away from from that Internet. I'm going to push away from some things. I'm going to cut a meal out of my life. I'm going to do a Daniel thing. I'm just going to eat some vegetables sometime, and and, and then I'll eat some more. But I'm going to spend the next 21 days because we need deliverances in our homes, in our lives. We need the addictions to be broken. We, needs, we need chains to be shattered. We need chains to be broken. And I know the anointing destroys the yoke, but I want the anointing on everybody in this house. I want you to feel the anointing on your life. I want the presence of God to be on your life like never before. Come on, we, we, we're devoted to Him, aren't we? We need direction from Him, don't we? And we need deliverance from Him. Nothing. Nothing works like prayer and fasting. There's a beautiful story in the book of Matthew chapter 9, I believe it is. Matthew 9, yeah. Jesus saves a tax collector. And then He meets some of John's disciples and they go talking about fasting to Him and say, us and the Pharisees fast, but we notice your disciples don't fast. And He said, when they have the bridegroom here they don't need to fast. But when the bridegroom is gone then they'll need to fast. And they will fast. And He said, you know, no man puts a piece of cloth on an old garment else the terror be made worse. Or you don't put new wine in old wineskins. What he's saying is, what he's saying is, I need to make you new. I need to make you new. If I'm to pour some new wine in you, I need some new wineskins to receive it. I need a new attitude to receive it. I need a new heart to receive it. I need new thinking processes to receive what I'm going to pour in you. And God's got something to pour in this church. He's got something to pour in this church. There's an anointing coming. Woo, there's an anointing coming on your life. There's an anointing. I'm not just I'm not just throwing out promises here. There's an anointing. I feel an anointing in this house right now. There's an anointing coming on your life. There's an anointing coming on your life. There's victory coming in your life. There's deliverance coming in your family. There's hope coming in your house. Then after the fast Jesus heals a woman with an issue of blood, Matthew 9. He raises a daughter of a a dead daughter of a man named Jairus. He heals two blind men and he touches a man possessed with devils. It's fasting and then miracles. It's fasting and then miracles. It's fasting and then miracles. Fasting produces deliverance in your life. And I close today, Randy, if you'll help me, I appreciate it so much. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 21. Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration with three three of his men. And there's a man there that's got a son who's a demoniac. He's a demoniac. There's There's a lot of people, there's a lot of families that have family needs. Stay with me now. This is his son. This is not a friend of his, it's his son. Jesus approaches a man that has a family crisis. My son has a spirit and there's some family needs that I, I think that we need to address in this 21 days of seeking God. 6 to 7.30 in the morning, the church will be open. 6 to 7.30 at night, church will be open. The staff will be here. Nobody, nobody will affect your prayer. You can come in and pray as long as you want. leave when you get ready. But I believe with all my heart, Jesus, when the man said, we brought him to the disciples and they couldn't cure him. And Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. what he called it. He wasn't talking to his men. He's talking to this generation. And then he turned and he said, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. There's some things, folks, there's some things that you're just not going to get the victory over unless you you submit to the higher power. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? Now I want you to get excited. It's a hard sermon to preach, but I want you to get excited. Because we're going to have victory in these 21 days. We're not, going to, we're not going to trudge through these 21 days. We're not going to trudge through these 21 days and say, oh God, oh God. If you go, if you go on a solid fast, if you go on a fast, a seven day fast, whatever you, whatever you want to do, that's your call. I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying we need to, we need to separate ourselves. See, prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. Prayer connects us to God. So you get disconnected by fasting, but you need to pray because prayer goes with fasting. And you you pray, but you don't fast. You need to disconnect from the world. You need to say no to this and say yes to this. Body, spirit. So I I encourage you. I really do. I got to let you go. I know I got to let you go. Wow. I'm so, I'm so pumped about what God's going to do in your families. I want God to turn your families into dynamite families. I want you to have victory in your homes and victory in your job and victory in the marketplace. I want you to know victory. I want you to get up every morning knowing that I have made a commitment to Jesus Christ in 2017. And I will never be the same again. Big Rocks. Come on, it's priority. It's prioritize your life. It's priority. That's why I always say when you get up in the morning, say, this is a day the Lord has made. And we'll rejoice and be glad in it. That's why I say every time you lay down at night, say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We got to live in this Jesus, in this Jesus channel. We got to live on this Jesus channel, folks. He's the sweetest name I know. Not bluebell. Jesus. Not food. Jesus. Not what I love in this world. Jesus. Not cowboys, horn, spurs. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Clap your hands real big. Receive the word today. I love you. And that concludes today's message